You're listening to Minds and Musicians, Episode 3 with Tim Hicks. Those were pivotal years for me, you know, learning how to not uh, lose your marbles with stage fright, you know, going up to play in front of people and, you know, mustering the courage to sing in front of people. Our students are going to be so excited. They always want to learn your songs, Tim. Oh, I'm sorry for that. Yeah. All three chords, huh? Yeah, all of them. All of them. I got a I got a student that wears his Tim Hicks Hicks hat almost constantly. Really? Oh, yeah. That's he awesome. Years ago, and and he's still, you know, he's got that hat on every time I see him. I love so, that. I'm yeah, so I got a couple of students that I've taught stronger beer to a lot of students. Let me tell oh, you, my, that's a parenting issue. That's a parenting <laughs> issue. I'll I'll start you off. Then. I I know you started out uh, really young as a guitar player, right? Yeah, you started. Um, and you were one of Tim Miller's students, which I, I knew Tim yeah. back um, at the conservatory. So he was your teacher way back when. What? Uh, and you played you played guitar first, I guess that was your. Main well, no, actually. So I was in organ lessons at the conservatory. So I I had um okay. So how do I get? So my great grandmother who lived in Niagara Falls, she had an organ in her parlor. That's how old her house was, and it's still there. It's still on Stanford Green Drive in Niagara Falls. Uh, I don't know if the, in fact, I know the organ's not there because one of my mom's cousins has it. But um, yeah, so I just used to, it was one of those organs that had like the numbers on the, on the keys. Yeah. And it, there was a book there that had numbers on the page. And so I figured out how to kind of key around and they were all church hymns, you know, it was yeah. like sticky first, Jesus loves me, you know, that kind of thing. But it didn't take me long before I was like, kind of like figuring out one of the first things I figured out was that song from that, I think it was a Disney movie, Somewhere Out There. Do you remember this? Somewhere out there. Anyway, so I was like three, four years old or something like that. And my parents were like, hmm? You know, and I remember when they asked me, I said, would you like to take lessons? I said, yes, I would love that. And this man from the conservatory came to our home and yeah. I had to decide then if I was going to be in piano lessons or organ lessons. And I didn't know anything about piano because I'd only ever played an organ. So I said organ. And so when I started at the conservatory, it was organ lessons. But what and what got me into, you know, the next sort of phase was at the conservatory. And this was brilliant. At the conservatory, they put together little bands. Yeah. So you'd have your like half hour lesson or in this case, I was in like group lessons. So it was an hour with like. I don't know, three or four other kids playing organ. But also on like Wednesday nights at eight o'clock, we'd have a one hour band practice with kids around the same age. So I was playing keyboards back then, really. Yeah. And not I wasn't singing in the first band. There's another kid, his name was Ryan. He And he was the singer and guitar player. And uh, uh, I just got bit by the bug. I just, I loved it. I, all of a sudden, music was a team sport. You know, yeah. like it went from like noodling around and with my headphones on because my that was the other thing with the organ is my my parents got me a big set of canned just like these really, uh, but like the '80s style headphones I could plug into the organ and I could play anytime day or night because I was like I was obsessed like I was getting up at six a.m. and like wailing wailing <laughs> out somewhere out there on the on the organ <laughs> at six a.m. My parents are like shut up, so we got uh, some headphones and anyway I, I I was never not in a band after that and I, I was eight years old, seven years old. Yeah, I, I taught for the conservatory and I taught those bands and then it, that was a big deal. Mm -hmm. Territory to have, have, you know, the opportunity to play with, with other mm -hmm. kids. And that, 
I got to say, when I was a student there, I was about 11 or, or around there when I started. So I was about 12 when I got in my first band and I went, mm -hmm. oh my God. I, this, this is, is way awesome. better. Yeah. yeah and I, I explain that to people all the time. Like I get asked all the time, hey, my son wants to play guitar. What can you say? And I always say, play with other people. It's the, yeah. it's, I, and I, and I, I kind of like use the analogy. You can get your hockey net and put it in your driveway and go out after school by yourself and practice your stick handling and practice your accuracy with your wrist shot and all that stuff. And it's great. It's fun. But when you get two or three kids together, all of a sudden you get a little scrimmage. Yeah. That is awesome, you know, and way better than just playing by yourself. So music is the same, you know what I mean? It's a, and, and there's so many skill sets that you don't even realize you're developing when you're playing with other people, you know, listening. It's such an important thing in a band, you know, oh, yeah. being able to listen and being able to talk, you know, as you're playing. Hey, let's take, take, take another one. You know, yeah. go again. Yeah. Let's take it back to the top. Hey, let's throw another chorus. You know, especially when you're playing bars. We need to waste 45 minutes. <laughs> take another solo, Jack. Yeah. Play that fucking music, white boy. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, these are the skill sets that you're developing when you're playing with other people. And it's so important. So yeah. important. That's like our entire business model for the Music Depot. Mm. <laughs> that's what we yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's, that's important work to do because... You know, there is no, like, you know, it's where we live in Canada. There's a hockey league and there's baseball and there's football probably someplace and basketball and you can put your kids in tennis and you can do all those things. Why not music in the same way? Like, why not sign up for band camp? You know what I mean? And yeah. like a day camp yeah. and go and do that. You know, that, that, those were pivotal years for me, you know, learning how to um, not uh, lose your marbles with stage fright, you know, going up to play in front of people and, you know, mustering the courage to sing in front of people. And it, like for me, for me, that was fairly easy. Like, for you know, my mother would say I came out singing and I, I've, I had an innate ability to be able to play and sing at the same time, which, you know, I come to find out years later that, that that's unusual. So, you know, that was yeah. something that was developed at the conservatory, you know, before it, it sort of went uh, in, a, in a more pro way, because I sort of, you know, I sort of skipped some steps in the sense that like I was playing in conservatory bands and little Kiwanis festivals and band competitions and things. And then one day I found myself doing a gig in a bar and then never really looked back, you know? Yeah. I feel like yeah. Jack was the same way. He kind of went down the same path, right? Well, and that's how we, that's how we bonded was because he, you know, he saw us play and I was playing guitar and keyboards and singing in my band. And I remember you telling me, Jack, even as a kid, like I was 17, 16, 17 years old. You're like, yeah, you remind me a lot of me. Yeah. I'm going to give you a gig. He used you know? to tell me like, yeah, Tim Hicks used to sneak into the bar underage to play. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did. And and if they found out often, they would just make me leave on the break. Like that happened at the Queenston Hotel in St. Catharines. You know, I'd had to go and stand on the sidewalk on the break. Oh, wow. I could come in and play, probably not legally, like, you know, in retrospect, they probably, I probably wasn't allowed to be there at all, but we justified it in the, well, you know, he's not at the bar, he's playing, he's working right now. And on his break, you go stand on the sidewalk. And that was how it went. You know, I, remember those I had to go. I had to go hang out in the, in the back dressing room. Yeah, because yeah. I was underage, so I would hang out in the dressing room. I could only be on stage or in the dressing room. I couldn't be out on the, the bar. Exactly. Room. Same with me. And I, as soon as I could grow a goatee to look older, that's I grew my Yeah, it was the '90s. You know, for me, it was the '90s. It was like goatees were in. As soon as you had one of those, then hey, you must be 19. You know, but I was like literally 15, 16, 17 years old playing in bars, and you grow up fast musically. Oh, yeah. You know, like in in life as well, but uh, but musically for sure. You know, when you're playing three nights a week, four nights a week, five nights a week, 
You know, yep. the band gets pretty good. The chops get pretty good. Yeah. Well, we, we booked your, your band in. Um, one of our, our doormen brought me your CD mm -hmm. from one of your, your previous bands and mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, hey, listen to these guys. So I threw you yeah. right into the PA through the in the bar mm -hmm. in, in the afternoon and listened to you guys and said, OK, get, give me a number yeah. and I'll, I'll book them. Yeah. Uh, and I remember I was doing sound for you. Mm -hmm. and standing on stage and you asked me if the owner was a cool guy because you didn't want to get thrown out because you were underage you had yes. no idea that it was my club no idea I was just, I was just the sound guy so yeah. like oh no i think you're all right uh, how old you're are all you? right. I, I talked to you for a little bit and said oh yeah just don't make a fool of yourself and everything be cool don't, i remember that don't make a fool of yourself yeah <laughs> which which we did you know we were all we were good you know that we didn't even drink uh, in those days, because, you know, the guys that I were playing with were, were much older and we used to rehearse at my house. And I think out of respect for me and for my parents and for that situation, like we were very straight edge, you know, until my 19th birthday at the at the Queen Victoria Hotel in Dunville, Ontario. And then <laughs> and all that went out the window. We were living it. It was rock and roll, buddy. Uh, you, you guys know? were a good little band back then. I mean, I, yeah. I always enjoyed you guys. You you were all over the board. You had some great vocals. Yeah, was, strong vocals. Yeah, between yeah. me, and Brad, and and uh, and the other guys too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just fun. smoking little bands. I, I always loved loved it when you guys played. Which we loved it when you played with us. We loved it when you played with us because you were a way better guitar player than we'd ever seen. So <laughs> it was always great when Jack would jump up and jam with us. That was that was a lot of fun. That was always a good time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what was the name of that band? That was, it was, an, there were a number of names. So early on, it was called Confusion of the Senses. And then after that, it was Round Four. Yeah. And then, and then that, that was the end of that, uh, of that road. And, and that band sort of broke up around the year 2000. I took a gig. I mean, it was coming to an end anyway, but I took a gig uh, playing uh, on a cruise ship. And that sort of ended, ended that band. Plus, we were very moody with each other at that point and you know yeah. we're going in different way di different directions creatively as they say you know what i mean yeah. it's like, you know well, guys, uh, by that point like you said they were a little older they were you yeah. know settling down getting married taking on real day jobs and stuff. yeah yeah and i was you know i was like 20 years old 21 years old and somebody gave me an opportunity to go play around the world you know uh i took it and yeah. you know I, I don't regret that i you know i, I th that was once again it's like you're in a situation where we were playing, we were the lounge band on one ship and I did that for four months. It was a four month contract and uh, we, we sailed around the Mediterranean wow. and we, we played five hours a night in different wow. uh, capacities. So, and what I loved about that gig was I had to learn 300 songs and that, that included like Summer Wind by Frank Sinatra to, you know, all the Beatles catalog. Uh, we did a country night, a disco night, 50s, 60s. We were the band, like we had to do the girl from Impanima uh, at the yeah. cocktail, you know, on Tuesday nights. And so as a songwriter and a musician, like th that was invaluable education. You know, when oh, you're sure. when you're shedding that kind of material and really like learning those parts and those chords and those progressions, it was like, how could you not learn how to write a song when you're uh -huh. dissecting all that stuff on a nightly basis and living and breathing it? Because, you know, when we weren't playing and running around, you know, chasing dancers and doing all that stuff, uh, we were we had guitars in our hands, you know, yeah. figuring out the next tune that we were going to play that night or something that went wrong the night before or rehearsing or writing and doing all those things. And it was those the songs that I wrote on that became my first solo record, you know, right. so, so to speak, which was, um, you know, then that sort of kicked me off in a direction to, to, to be a solo guy. Although you know, I will say this, it's like I'm, I, I just want to play in a band. Yeah. You know? 
but I want to make all the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were, you were talking about it earlier. I remember you coming coming to the my store in Port Colborne, and yep. uh, you had all your songs on the phone, mm -hmm. and we sat in my in my teaching room putting it through my stereo listening to your your first recordings which you obviously you did probably right where you're sitting yeah um, in your little studio at home and and i thought wow you know that he's he's gone in this direction which was more country style right which mm -hmm. was probably more where you were always meant to go yeah so, well I, I i that happened by accident like because you know there was no country station on in niagara when we were growing up oh. uh, it wasn't uh, really on my radar um but as I started to gig more and more, people would ask me for it. And, yeah. and so secretly, I was starting to, you know, turn the dial. You know, at that point, Hamilton had a station and Buffalo had a station. And I was, I was, I, I was listening to it because and, and I always had a hard time figuring out where I fit in as an artist because of, you know, there were so many influences, you know, from, you know, from Led Zeppelin to Blue Rodeo. And it's like, yeah, what do I love about Blue Rodeo? Well, I love the steel guitar on Blue Rodeo. I love the harmonies. I love the songwriting. I love the acoustic guitar. Okay, what do you love about the Eagles? I love the songwriting. I love the guitar playing. I love the harmonies. I love the songs. Like, you know, I, it's like the, what I, I realized in retrospect is like the, the musical things that I love tend to lend themselves more to country music than other things. And I it would hit me like a ton of bricks one day when I realized I had more in common musically with Keith Urban than I did with Dallas Green. You know, both play acoustic guitar. Yeah. But I couldn't relate to what was happening around Niagara, you know, on the on the indie scene. Right. And, and it, so, you know, it kind of made sense, you know. And, and then when I got to Nashville and they kept asking me, so Tim Hicks, huh? Yeah. What's your real name? <laughs> yeah, it works well. <laughs> my real name. They said, yeah, but what's your real name? I said, no, that's my real name. Yeah, sure it is. I'm like, no, it is. Yeah. And I remember my producer at the time, he goes, he goes, perfect. <laughs> like this, like Tim Hicks, right? Like, the, how could I not know I was a country singer, you know, like right from right out of the gate. And, you know, it's so funny and it sounds ridiculous. But the moment I put on a pair of cowboy boots, I felt at home. Yeah. And it, finally, I felt like this is where I belong. I belong with these people. You know what I mean? I know I didn't grow up on a ranch. And I don't wear a cowboy hat, you no. know, because of that. Like, I didn't, I'm not a farm boy. I grew up on the streets of Niagara Falls, you know? So it's like, yeah. but, but I love all that music, you know, especially the country rock stuff, which is really what I do, you know, at the end of the day. Very much so, yeah. 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 So again, you went, so you went from playing organ, playing church music on an organ, which <laughs> is awesome to learn. With my great grandmother, yeah. Yes, um, I love that. Um, to playing with round four. Yep. to playing on a cruise ship to yep. going into a solo career. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, in between there, I was doing jobber gigs too. Like I, I had a short stint as a touring musician uh, for that band, Serial uh, Joe. Do you remember okay. that? Yeah. Yep. So, you know, they they recorded a record in in um, in Niagara at Rob Wells' studio, and Rob, uh, still very good friend of mine, plays drums in my band and has yep. since basically since the year two thousand. Um, and they recorded with uh, Corey McFadden over there, and Corey and I were tight at the time, and he, he got me the gig to play with Serial Joe. So between that, I was doing like crew gigs. You know, I learned how to mix monitors, uh, wrap cables. I was doing uh, spotlight gigs out at uh, Arizona's, you know, when Matt Good would come to town. I was moving cases. I, like, I wanted to learn every part of the business, you know, especially the, 
like the technical end, like the creative end, you know, like I loved wrapping cables at the end of the night and, and watching, uh, you know, watching the crew tear down the thing. I still like it, you know, and, and that was a hard thing for me. I remember having to get like being sat down by my management company before we did our big, big first club tour saying, listen, like you can't do that when you're done, you can't go back out and wrap cables. No, and I was like, I was like, what? Yeah. I'm not doing that. What do you think I am? Some kind of prima donna? I'm in the band too. You know, I'm going out and wrapping my cables. They're like, you can't go out and wrap cables. <laughs> and I was on this tour early on uh, with Dallas Smith and Chad Brownlee. And I ca- I kind of called them out on it. Like we were, they because they had a fancy bus and I was literally following the bus in my minivan. Okay. <laughs> and at the, the last gig I did with them, they invited me on the bus, you know, oh, wow. kind of hang and have a beer after the show. And all the band and crew, everybody's band and crew was out wrapping cables, putting their stuff away. And here the three of us are on the bus having a beer. And it, it, was, it was, there was a quiet moment. And I, I looked at them, I said, boys are working pretty hard, huh? As if to say, like, get out there and wrap a cable for God's sakes. You know what I mean? But, but, you, but you, that's the show part of the show business is that you can't have the star, quote unquote, we try not to use the S word around here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go out and wrap his own microphone cable at the end of the night. It just doesn't, it doesn't look right. And, and typically now, I mean, I didn't understand it then, but now there isn't time for that anyway, because uh, when you come off the stage immediately, you know, we need five or 10 minutes to decompress and to yell at each other, you know, yeah. something happened that night. Like we need to, de- we need to debrief the show. Hey man, what happened in the second verse of the blah, blah, blah. You know, like, <laughs> They were like, hey, that was awesome when you did that thing. We got to do that again tomorrow. That was, you know, like you, gotta, you have to have that. And okay. then immediately someone's grabbing me to go to a meet and greet or some kind of a signing line or a VIP thing. or So there really isn't, there isn't time, you know, to do the things that we used to do, which was wrap cables at the end of the night. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, 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 I get paid to move gear. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, you know, I play for free. But yeah, I say that all the time. I and I still say that to people because, you know, the odd time someone will want to help you with your gear. And really, it's like, I don't want strangers touching my Martin guitars. So I'll say, nah, that's okay. I got it. I The music's free. The music's yeah. free. This is what I get paid for. You know, right. I used to say that all the time when I was in bars because it's like, hey, get your drunk butt away from my <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I know a lot of people are going to you know, they're, they're, they're wondering, how did you break through with the country music? So you kind of, you started yeah. your solo career, started writing your own stuff um, mm. in the, in the country genre. Mm. And then what did you do? What did you do once you had those songs? Well, I was just, I was just working. That's all I was doing. And, yeah. you know, I, there was a long period of time where I wasn't writing. I wasn't doing anything. Like if I was see around the songs that Jack's talking about are like, I made, I made myself a little bit of a, like an acoustic CD that I could, sell off the stage you know mm-hmm. and, and those included songs like you know like the, that i played for you i think was just like jane and all those two that we wound up that i you know played at the niagara music awards um but uh what happened was i i was just working and i i had a moment um where i had kind of decided that i didn't want to do it anymore i had sort of proven to everybody that that i could if i wanted you know have a career in music um at the bar level you know i was making a living and that was that was fine but i was like you know i was like i was 10 years in 15 years in i thought like you know i've had enough like i I don't want to deal with drunk people i'm arguing with bar owners over 80 dollars at the end of the night well it's you know how's 60. you know not enough (laughs) 
How, you know, how about you pay me what you told me you were going to pay me? You know, that kind of thing. Like, I was just sick of it. And my wife was like, and I don't even think we were married yet. Or maybe we were. I don't think so. And she said, because uh, I asked her if she could get me a uh, job at the region. Can they, wow. At the Niagara region. I said, could you get me an interview? She goes, well, probably. But what? what why? And I said, I'm sick of it. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm not getting anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, boo-hoo you. I'll never forget that. Boo-hoo you. I said, what do you mean? She goes, you get to do what you love to do every night, and it brings happiness to people. And shouldn't that be enough, whether you're, you know, whether you're making millions or making $100? Who cares? Mm -hmm. You're doing it. And I, that, to me, was, like, pretty pivotal because – in the meantime, you know, I had my, I had a band called Miles Above and that band fizzled out. Like we were going to make it, you know what I mean? Like every band, you know, we were going to make it. And that band broke up and I was so heartbroken and I, did, I didn't know what to do with myself. I took a job um, playing in a Beatles tribute band again on cruise ships. And I, I got to play all over the world singing Beatles. And, but when I got back from that gig and I, you know, cause I'd had enough of it or whatever, all the house gigs that I had lined up before that I was promised would be here when I got back, I thought I was gonna, I was coming home to a hero's welcome. Like I had literally been around the world playing music, and I was excited to get back to my Tuesday night gig in Brantford and my Wednesday night gig in Waterloo and my Thursday night gig in Guelph. And I got back, and they all went, "Oh yeah, see, it's going really well with the other guys." So oh, yeah. no, <laughs> and I had no work. And for the for the very first time, because you know I I, I you know, not that I had an easy time finding gigs, but my calendar was almost always full. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden I found myself without a full calendar, and I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I asked Amanda, you know, can you get me this thing? And she's like, Listen, I don't care what you do, as long as you're you know upholding your end of the bargain and you're happy, then keep doing what you're doing. And I thought, Oh, okay. And then, we can all thank yeah, her for that. Absolutely. And and so that kind of renewed my energy to go back out and, and do gigs. So I was gigging and working and that's all I was doing. And I was happy doing that. You know, I had house gigs. I, I worked myself away. I was doing Wednesday nights downtown Toronto, uh, Thursday nights in Guelph, you know, Friday night, Saturday night with the band, Sundays, you know, Tuesdays, lots of acoustic gigs. My calendar was full. All of a sudden it was all good. And then these songwriters saw me play in, in at my gig in Toronto. And, uh, and they said, you know, you got a good voice. Thanks. Do you write? And I said, oh, yeah. Now, I hadn't written anything in a long, long time. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I write. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, we've got, you know, we've we've got a, you know, pub deal over at EMI and, and some studio time. You want to come and write some songs? And I said, sure. So why not? You know, and I, I went and I, I wrote some songs with these with this uh, these guys. It was uh, Casey Marshall was his name and Neil Sanderson from Three Days Grace. He's the drummer. Okay. Um, and they they had like a little development company and and they and we we struck up a relationship and uh, wrote some songs and demoed them and they took those songs to Nashville and they played them for Ron Kitchener who's my current uh, manager and Ron you know as legend has it I wasn't there but I heard he said these songs are terrible but this this guy's got something with his voice <laughs> and uh, maybe we'll see maybe we should see him play. And that year, so that was, say, in June of 2011, and uh, that following fall, the CCMA Awards were in Hamilton. So they were like, listen, if you set up a showcase, these guys might come. So I begged the, uh, this bar, Squires, at Fenelon Wentworth in Hamilton, hey, let me come in, set up my gear. It's on a Sunday afternoon. I'll play for free. 
you know, I'm going to do a set of my originals and then I'll stick around and I'll do two sets of covers for you. And they were like, you're going to play for free. All right. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So, and I packed the rim, like, you know, cause there was a chance that this guy from Nashville was going to show up and see me play. And, uh, so, you know, all my aunts and my uncles and everybody, all my friends came and we've, and we ran this bar and sure enough, buddy walks in That's and I knew right cool. away. I was like, this is him for sure. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, do you know where I can find Tim Hicks? And I said, that's me. And he goes, all right, man, show me your stuff. Oh, that must've been so nerve wracking. <laughs> oh, it was insanity. But here, listen, this is the, this is the thing. I had been playing six nights a week for 15 years now. So I was prepared musically yeah. for what was about to happen, you know, and I had been d doing gigs like that for forever. And that was always my mantra was like, you know, I would take guff from my musician friends. Hey, man, you know, doing covers is a waste of time. Uh, you should be doing originals. And, you know, that the thing. And I was like, listen, if I can play five nights a week and make a little bit of money and uh, be musically in shape. Yes. Yeah. You no. Know, like vocally uh, and, and guitar wise and confident, you know, because it, I was just doing my gig. It wasn't like a big thing. Like, well, in my original band, we play once a month and we play for the door. And then when you have to play for an agent or a manager, all of a sudden everyone's nervous because they yeah. have only done three gigs together over the last four months. Well, for me, it was like just going and doing my gig. So I was prepared for him and, you know, went up, did my thing and he stayed, he stayed. Yeah. And I thought that that was interesting. So I finished my set and he was still there sitting at the table with my wife who was super pregnant, super <laughs> pregnant. So he, you know, I sit down and he said, that's yeah, pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. He goes, you got your hands full, you know, pointing at the baby bump, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, when's the baby due? I said, November. He said, okay, have the baby come down to Nashville in January and we'll see what happens. Oh, and wow. that was it. And that, that was all I heard, you know, until... You know, we had the baby and uh, started to reach out. Hey, okay, we, we've set up some rights for you. You know, come to town. And on January 5th, 2012, we wrapped my son, who was five weeks old, in a blanket. And we drove my minivan to Nashville, you know, wow. to try. To try. And that was, that was it. And what was super weird was there was no defining moment. Like, they just kept asking me, when can you come back? When can you come back? When can you come back? And, you know, gone are the days where record companies pay for anything. It was yeah, always yeah. on my own dime. And that was a test. It was to see how invested I was in this whole thing. You know, of mm -hmm. course, I mean, they didn't know me. They didn't know that I had invested my entire existence into music and on this, you know. But I remember, Jack, you'll appreciate this. So there was a, there was a moment I was in the office uh, early on. And they said, so let me get this straight. So you you put the PA system into your van. I said, yes. And you drive to a gig. Yes. You set it up. Mm -hmm. And then you play. I said, yes. And you get paid at the end. I said, yes. And then you tear it all down and you do it again the next night. I said, yes. And they were like, wow. Because in Nashville, and they thought, all have in-house PAs. Everybody's all set up. Well, I don't know what it, what that was, but I said, who are you signing? Yeah. <laughs> That's the gig? That's the gig. That the gig. gig? That's the gig, guys. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's what, that's what we do. And they were like, they were so impressed. You know, and I thought, come to Niagara. This, yeah. I, there, there's 20 guys that do that where I live. 
You know what I mean? We've, we've made our own scene, you know? And I didn't realize until after the fact of like how valuable that is, especially even, even today on the national level, in, you know, in, in the country genre, I can only speak to that because that's my experience. Not too many people have the amount of experience that the guys around here have, you know? And, and uh, that has come in handy on many occasions you know, when crew guys are trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you're like, oh, so you can't, you can't give me more guitar on my monitor? Well, get out of the way. Let me, where's, which strip is it? You know what I mean? I'll do it myself. <laughs> I'll do it myself. And that has come in, that has been in, that experience has been invaluable, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, I really, I'm still proud of that. Like, I still, I know, like, I'm considered an artist, you know? <laughs> I don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself a working musician still you know i and i wear it like a badge of honor you know mm -hmm. that that i come from that and there isn't any gig that i couldn't do standing on my head because i've had to you know yeah. what i mean from silly gigs like one time i did a gig on a double decker bus and i was car sick the entire time <laughs> i still did my gig you know went out i've i've been thrown up behind the base cabinet still yeah. did my gig you know what I mean? Like, there, you know, all these things, microphones stopped working. We had a moment, we were playing Calgary Stampede a few years back uh, at the Saddle Dome, opening for Luke Bryan. And there, it was sold out. There was 10,000 people there. Wow. And in those days, we were opening with Get By, which was my first single. So it's, you know, I like to drink, she likes to smoke. And the band kicks in and it's like intro rolls and it's cooking. And I get into the verse, everybody do, and my microphone cuts out. Oh. Now I knew exactly what the problem was. I knew what it was, but I'm singing the song and I'm trying, and there's 10,000 of your friends yeah, standing in front of you. And I looked over at my guitar player and I was just like, oh, here we go. And I walked over to his mic and I just finished out the song. And in between breaths, trying to yell to the, cause now the crew guys are diving everywhere. Everybody's trying <laughs> to fix this microphone. And I knew what it was. I've, I've got like a little vocal pedal on my board that makes it sound like a megaphone. And sometimes when we fly, the power supply for that gets jostled on the oh. inside of my board. And you just need to flip it open and secure it back down. And I'm yelling, check the power supply. No, the power supply. No, check out the power And, and you know, to us, that was just another gig. And yeah. but when we finished, the amount of kudos that we got, like on social media and, you know, from people that were there and industry people like radio folks were there. They were like, you guys were so calm about it like your microphone cut out like what was that like i said like the other ten thousand times that my microphone cut out only there was more people there so, you know we just yeah, did our yeah. gig you know what i mean like that's what you do when you when you're doing your gig you know it and it's, is... that's something we really stress to our students you will mess up things will go wrong the they only thing that wrong. matters is you don't stop stop don't stop ever. right yeah, don't get don't, don't make a stupid right. face and go oh you know just yep. just keep going and deal yep. with it yeah, because those things are going to happen. And and the only way to be comfortable, well, listen, those it's never comfortable in those situations, but the no. only way to, to get through it is to experience it and go, okay, we've been here before. What do I do? There's lots of other microphones on the stage that are working. I'm going to use yours now, you yeah. know, when somebody fixes mine, you know, and, uh, and then you, you get out of that. So, you know, when, when, again, like, you know, to make a long story over, when people ask me, you know, what do I, my son is 10 and he wants to be a blah, blah. I said, just get out and play. Yeah. Just get out and play because I think it's a lost art. You know, everybody wants to be discovered on TikTok or YouTube and not have to do the work. They want to skip it all. But guess what happens when you're playing in your bedroom 
it's way different than when you're standing on the stage at Saddledome when your microphone cuts out. Oh yeah. yeah. What do you do? You melt down? No. You know, you got to get through it somehow. And the only way to do that is, is to not skip the steps of, of, of honing your craft as a live player, you know? Get on yeah. the stage any opportunity that you can. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what we and always say. You know, for, for us, like, you know, can't do it in a pandemic. But if you remember, uh, there, I think it's The View now out of Hamilton. But we had Pulse Niagara. And in the back of Pulse, mm -hmm. it would tell you where all the open mics were. Yeah. yeah. We used to just do tours of open mics. Just go around and play. You know? That's awesome. That's great but, advice. Once things open up again, yeah. open mic nights over your grandmother's barbecue or on the back deck for your friends, like get out and play in front of people and feel what it feels like to mess up in front of an audience or forget the words. It happens all the time. People are Boy. like, Oh, forget you've forgotten the words all the time. And I wrote them because <laughs> <laughs> you just I've... think about like, yeah. you just, I'm thinking, you know, cause sometimes you just get too comfortable and I'm thinking, Oh yeah, I got to remember, I got to get milk on the way home. <laughs> oh it's garbage day tomorrow i gotta remember to put the recycling out but i'll, I'll bring the blue box out in the morning because oh and then and, and you, you mess up the line you know it's like just make a joke of it and keep going or you just mumble your way through it oh i once seen jack uh sing the same verse three times oh, in yeah. a song that he's been doing for years <laughs> yeah and that happens you know and, and that's okay because that's live. because i'll just say it i'll make a joke yeah it's live music folks yep. that's no, it no pre-recorded stuff going on here no. Or is it? You know? <laughs> it's mess with people. Stay tuned for part two of Minds Musicians with Tim Hicks on Tuesday, September the 14th. This ain't no truck song.